business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Hi, and welcome to the Agency Bud podcast. Tap into each episode at podcast.agencybud.com. Agency Bud is the platform that increases your revenue by providing software that you can on-sell to your clients in a reseller model. Tap into agencybud.com and increase your bottom line. On the Agency Bud podcast, we talk to CEOs, founders, startups, anybody successful and amazing about the challenges they've overcome and the lessons they've learned along the way. Let's go and meet today's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest today is an absolute dynamo. She is somebody who's been described as traveling at a million kilometers an hour. She's had clients in the agency space, including real estate, financial, health, everything from startups to massively successful organizations. She's the president and the CEO of the Banter Group. She's also an endorsed expert trainer and advisor for the International Social Media Association. Not only that, she's the president of the not-for-profit Star Association. She's a mother and she is the incredible Valentina Bourbon. Valentina, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. You make me sound very impressive. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I, I mentioned before we started that just reading through your bio is exhausting. The, the hats that you wear is absolutely mm. incredible. Now, I'm fascinated by the fact that you've um, achieved so much in and around the social media space and, of course, moving everything along with that. How did you get started on this whole journey? Well, I guess it goes back to nearly 2006 where I jumped ship from, um, I guess, a traditional agency environment into a digital, pure digital play. And that was uh, as a media buyer for Apple. That was one of the first roles. And then really sort of sunk my teeth into everything that comes with digital. Uh, Social media back then didn't really exist. We, We certainly couldn't advertise on the platforms that we can now. So I feel like I've been part of social particularly since its day dot. Um, There was a time when you would fire your team for being on Facebook and now it's a time where I fire them if they're not on Facebook. Wow, yeah, absolutely. there's very different expectations. But um, I'm a fairly big go-getter. If I see something I want, I sort of sink my teeth into the best pathway and approach to get there. So, um, you know, you take an opportunity when it knocks on the door and I guess that's how I ended up with so many hats. Wow, amazing. um, Do you sleep? Not much. No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think as most people who are playing multiple roles tend to work off a limited number of hours and six is a pretty good number for me. So, um, you know, you pick up what you believe in. And and I guess that's what happened is very early on in digital, there was not much education in terms of how it actually works, what we need to look at, not just from channels and saying we should be doing email or social, but what does it actually mean from a strategic point of view and what's the purpose of doing those things. So uh, I picked up a training role um, back in 2008, which was with the Internet, uh, sorry, the Association for Data-Driven Marketing, and I was the lead digital trainer for 10 years before I gave it up a couple of years ago. Mm. And meeting with and having students firstly in my class 30 students at a time and hearing what those challenges were for people like Combank and Qantas and you know some of those students were equally business entrepreneurs just startups and they're learning from those best in the business so I found and I've always had a nurture for education and and teaching but also nurturing not just teaching theory but what does it look like in practice how do you do it I don't mince my words. I'm a pretty straight shooter. So I didn't use the jargon. I just said, this is what we see and why would that work? And that's ridiculous. And um, people found that approach um, understandable for their business and something that they could implement rather than I've read the textbooks, I've watched the webinars and I still don't know what to do. Mine was a very hands-on practical approach to um, implementation. So Awesome. I, I noticed that on, on the site actually and, and for, for those who should be following you and that's anybody in the agency space because I love what you're putting out there, by the way, on your LinkedIn and, and on the, the site, your Twitter, et cetera. So it's bantergroup.com.au and, of course, you can catch up with Valentine there and definitely make sure you're following her on, on LinkedIn as well because I'm looking at the content that you're putting out. It's absolutely exceptional. So one Thank of the you. things that you mentioned on the Banter Group website is that you don't do jargon. We don't do marketing speak. We tell it how it is. And, and how does that translate into working with the clients that you have? So from a small business perspective, for example, um, what I've seen over all the years is how easy it is for a small business to get absolutely rorted in digital yes. because they're not 
wise about what's a good decision, what's a bad decision, what's a good inclusion, what's a good price to pay. And I wanted to try and demystify that for a small business. So mm-hmm. being able to say, I don't get need you to understand how SEO actually works, for example, um, in terms of the doing, the coding, what you do need to know is what it is and why it's important. And then these are the things that affect a good SEO outcome. Mm. So I found myself in that educative role again, saying, you know, mums and dads just don't have a lot of money. Small business doesn't have a lot of money to waste. And I saw too much wastage. Equally at the other end of the scale, a a role that I play is an outsourced CMO. So Mm -hmm. you don't need to take on the headcount because also what we're looking at from that uh, education perspective is I have a certain expectation of what a marketing manager or a marketing director or a CMO should do. And it's really hard to find those all-rounders. Many of them have used big agencies before who actually do the work. So they're not clued into the physical doing. And part of my role is what I see it is to say, yeah, that's great that you're asking this from your, let's call it a social media manager or an account director or a marketing manager but they haven't actually got the skills to do it so they're making bad decisions left right and center so my role at the at a cmo level is to say hang on let me take control of what your marketing should do for your business obviously my agency can deliver on the doing but equally i can help direct your existing agencies or partners to say this is the strategic approach now go away and implement it and i'll guide you through doing that so i tend to play those many hats between teach me what to do versus do it for me versus create the structure so that we can do it ourselves. So that's where I guess banter's a little bit different to some of the bigger agencies out there who really want all of the pie and say, oh, you can't have the strategic thinking without us doing the work. I'm like, no, that's fine. You know what? Everyone's got a skill set and you've got great relationships. So if I don't think I can do a good job for someone, I don't take them on in the first place. Mm. Uh, I would rather not chase the money. I'm not in it for the money. I'm totally in it for delivering a better experience for people so that they can have a better business at their end. Fantastic. So when you started out the Banter Group, was it just you or did you start uh, Did you start with a core team of people or was it just you, hat on, let's get started? Well, it was a bit me get started. So I had left um, my own strategic agency in Sydney to move to the Highlands for a different life and I didn't think that I would continue agency work in doing that. After two years of growing my own veg and carrots take a very long time to grow, I decided that I'd <laughs> kind of put it out there to the local community. Oh, they knew that I was in marketing and, and education and um, just sort of put it out there. said, look, I'll, I'll help you out and it grew very quickly. So wow. within... Um, a month I'd hired a creative director and I wasn't even sure we'd have much creative. I thought it would be more training and basic stuff. And actually my team within eight months was eight people strong. Wow. And uh, now we're two and a half years down the track and we're at 12 people. So I'm trying to grow sustainably. I definitely Mm. don't want to take on the traditional agency models. You know, you win a client, you put on a team, you lose that client, you fire the team. Never going to happen here. So one thing I pride ourselves on, um, with the agencies certainly to firstly hire local people we live in a regional area so we have amazing skills in this community uh, we're only an hour and a half out of Sydney but it's really difficult to find a job within the Highlands. so I wanted to provide a place where local people with great skills who have moved into the area or born and bred here have a place to work without working ridiculous hours so our ethos is be with your kids go to the school carnival work the days of the week that you want work flexible hours As long as the job gets done and we are professional about it, have the life that you want. You know you're about to be inundated with resumes. (laughs) (laughs) As a testament to that, I put out a role not that long ago, which was for a a four-day-a-week administrator, and in 24 hours I'd had over 40 applications. And, you know, that wasn't a sign of COVID for me. We grew during COVID-19. We didn't um, shrink at all. It was really a sign of all the effort that we put into creating and nurturing a culture that is not common in agency world. Wow. You know, my creative director is ex-JWT and has worked on Torbman's and Pizza Hut and Optus and we live in Barrel. And, and our location actually shouldn't be an indicator of the skill. Definitely it's not. just where we choose to live. I can be wherever I want and still deliver exceptional work. So, mm. yes, I definitely started with a great team. I am not a creative graphic artist. I can write social media. I can tell you if a post looks good 
but can I use Photoshop? Not a chance. <laughs> so focus on the skills that you have. I'm a people person. I'm a strategist. Uh, I know what I want and I need a team to mobilise that. So I believe in any agency, you're only as good as the team that is supporting you. Yeah. So we all have very specific roles in our business. We all cross over in the business and I think that's been the strength for us is we always have two people minimum on every single client so that there's there's never a bottleneck somewhere in that process. We scale up our resources when we need them. And when I say scale up, nothing in this agency is outsourced to um, in uh, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand. Not to say that that's not a model. It is. It's not my model. Yeah. My model is to create real jobs in Australia with the skills that we have. Mm. So I know that, you know, I can get 7 to $10 an hour on something overseas and I choose not to do that. So, yeah. um you know, the skill of my team is, is exceptional. I feel like I've landed the wonder team, to be that's honest. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. And, and, you know, I know that that's difficult, but I also know as a business owner that I've nurtured and crafted my own recruitment skills to make sure that I end up with a good person rather than a bad hire. Talking of recruitment skills, what, what um, upskilling have you needed to do stepping into that CEO role rather than, rather than an in-the-trenches worker? Obviously, mm-hmm. moving into that leadership position and just, uh, and, and I'm not blowing smoke, but just the way you speak and the way you come across, that leadership is, is oozing from your pores. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. So uh, how do you, what sort of skills did you have to learn to go into that, into that CEO and president role? Well, I guess the first things that I look at is everything that I hated in my own managers through my, you know, early 20s. I started you list to them or is that to- Sorry? Can you list them? Are, you know, the things that you were completely... Absolutely. Tell me that. Look, micromanagement absolutely sucks for everybody. No <laughs> one wants to have someone looking over their shoulder. No one wants a bad brief. If someone's not clear, they will never be able to deliver to your expectations. So being clear about what you want, the process you want them to take, giving them resources to do their own research and, in, and empower them to make their own decisions. So... Um, I learned from a lot of management styles from the 90s, which were horrific. They were racist. They were um, definitely male bias. Yeah. I watched all of that unfold. You know, if, I think it's funny because people say, you know, Mad Men is a film series in agencies, so exciting. And I'm like, wow, I lived through that and it's not It's a, It's a documentary. <laughs> bloody awful and I guess that was the ethos is to say I'm not going to repeat those same mistakes so if I want my team to perform like this then I'm going to nurture them into that role so no one gets thrown thrown in the deep end without support absolutely you get thrown in the deep end because I've hired hopefully the best of the breed that I can you know at the time I'm recruiting but you can't just leave them there you have to give them that feedback so I'm very meticulous with my discipline in terms of having a formal review process Uh, But equally, I don't wait for a review process to address an issue. So I'm also very human-based is how I look at it. I'm not just female, sure, but I'm empathetic to what the world is and the realities of the world. I know that I could be making a much bigger margin if I did things differently, but Mm. I'm not interested in money. So I'm interested in having a great life, delivering great work, feeling proud of what we do and having a team that loves coming to work and I'm one of those people that work for 24 hours and not stop so I don't expect that from my team I expect them to go home but if they want that drive and passion then I'll absolutely support it so that human element Mm. when a family has a child not just a female there's a man involved and he should have exactly the same rights as that female I just nurture that and say don't be at work don't just take two weeks leave go enjoy yourself and I think that's a big difference for what people have experienced and for me one of those big turning moments was one of my team I'd hired her and before she'd started she fell pregnant Mm. and she came to me to have a meeting almost in tears thinking she wasn't actually going to get the job we'd already made the offer and I just sort of looked at her I'm like you don't think I was expecting you you yet you've been married for a long time Um, you're in the age group I'm not stupid. Um, of course you're going to have a job and, yes, you're going to leave in seven months and, yes, there'll be a job when you come back and I don't know why you ever thought anything different. But, mm. of course, everyone's experiences taint what 
yeah, what sure. that response might look like. So I, I guess I treat my own team, my clients, the way I want to be treated. It's that old adage, you know, treat mm-hmm. people how you want to be treated. And that's it's actually just something I practice rather nice. than something I put on the website. So I, I kind of interrupted you and thank you for, uh, you know, um, going into the depth of the micromanagement and, and poor briefs and poor understanding and communication and family. And what else did you, did you think to yourself as you stepped into that CEO role? How did you mm. go from, from a worker to a leader, you know, in terms of, oh, my God, I need to skill up here or I need to, you know, we've already talked about recruitment. Was that something you had to learn? Like what else have you had to kind of bring somebody in or, or upskill yourself on? Yes, I'm doing two things particularly. One is um, I I am disciplined to do reading, so I dedicate at least 20 minutes a day to reading something. Now, that could be the AFR, it could be a report, it could be about leadership, it could be habits. You know, obviously Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People and go, mm. oh, yeah, tick, tick, tick. They're things that I do when I just wake up, so I'm good with that. Nice. <laughs> and then it was going up a little bit further to particularly Vern Harnish, um, which has, who has uh, published um, a number of leadership books, but one particular one which is called Scaling Up. Okay. And I try not to confuse myself with too many tools to read. I try and focus just on one or two things and start formulating what I want to do. And within eight months of starting the business, I thought, you know, I'm never too big to learn myself. That's a, a big challenge for senior management. Mm. And... Reading that book, highlighting exactly what I wanted, I started with core values and we review them every year to see if they still stand. It's not a core value statement, like I said, that gets put up on the website or gets printed on the wall. It's something we live and breathe and I'll pull people up on it if we're not delivering on that. So using frameworks from scaling up has been really useful and very much something that keeps me on track. Yeah. It's not something I just read once. It sits on my desk. It's tabbed. It's highlighted. It gets crossed off when it's ingrained. It never gets taken away until it's actually just like brushing your teeth. It, wow. Until it's at that point, it's something that gets looked at all the time. And um, you, you re- review that on a yearly basis with the team? The core values, absolutely. So we, you know, and again, even as a startup, we have an official off-site strategic planning day with the whole team. Mm. I don't ever want to become complacent that, oh, you're only small. You know, it's it's a lot like you do read in leadership books that if you do want to be bigger, act bigger. If you yeah. do want to be the CEO, act like the CEO. So putting on the right hat and the right pair of pants and it funnily puts on the right attitude, then that's what helps you strive for the goal. So part of my own development was agreeing only just recently that I'd like to take on a business coach. I only know what I know. I have certain mentors who have also aged within the industry. So I'm finding that even their advice, they're missing some of the key things that are happening today because they're not in the game anymore. So I was really looking for a business coach in terms of helping me make better decisions. Mm. And they don't need to know the intricacies of every single client. They need to know what are my goals? How am I going to get there? What are we currently doing? And what can I start changing? So, um, yeah, I've invested in my own self to say, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it a six-month trial and see what outcome comes from it. But I think that's a lot of fear for a lot of leaders is to say, well, they don't want to face what they get told. Um, I've worked with people like that. They ask for a coach and then go, yeah, thanks for your info. I'm not going to do anything with it. Yeah, I appreciate your outside. Um, But but yet I still expect a different (laughs) outcome. So, uh, you know, being that disciplined person is me actually taking the the hit on the chin. If it's going to be bad news, then I need to bulk up and get on with it and make some changes. You know, you can't just listen to something and think it's going to change. You actually have to take that action. I think that's the hardest thing for people is the fear of the unknown. I don't know what risk I'm really taking, but I'm willing. You know what? I keep going back to what's the worst case scenario. I keep growing vegetables. (laughs) At least it's sustainable. Um, I I really want to dig into a little bit of social media stuff. But before I do, while we're still staying on the team, you mentioned that you're you're not a creative. So Photoshop and you just don't get on, and I completely have uh, the same relationship. Um, Tell me about the breakup of your team, then, Valentina. How how is that structured? You've got a, a couple of people in sales, a couple of people in creative. Like, what's the what's the makeup there? Yeah, so we're with um, we're twelve, and we have a creative team of five, mm-hmm. and we have uh, two in account service or producer roles, um, a strategist that works very closely with me, and in copywriting, a social media manager, web development, and an administrator that helps keep us all very happy and well fed. 
So everyone does have the skill set, but like I said, the whole team will end up working with most of our clients or at least a core team of three to four people on a particular client. So within the creative team specifically, uh, we have our creative director who can do anything. Uh, Then we have a graphic designer who's very much geared towards brand design and crafts his own um, typography and, you know, really meticulous Then we have two, I guess, more junior creatives, which are very much on the tools, you know, social posts going out, but brand guidelines and a lot more complex design as well gets nurtured through from our creative director. So everyone's growing and learning together. Mm -hmm. Um, I also upskill them. So if they tell me that they're finding a skill set shortage in, let's say, animation, then we just book animation training one-on-one and everyone's entitled to highlight uh, throughout their working time, what they'd like some training on, whether it be official or um, unofficial, the, the learning for me is a huge part. So I've written many courses in digital marketing and I'm actually teaching my team the way I teach a classroom so that they can go, okay, so a creative, for example, wants to know more about how SEO works and an, my web developer who does that day in, day out wants to understand more how you come to a creative solution from the brief. So everyone's learning together in doing it. Unreal. Fantastic. And so you mentioned that you've got two people in the producer role. So they're yeah. they're the, the the new leads or the new client business development kind of role? Yeah, so I do most of the business development. Um, and I'm very fortunate that we have a lot of inbound inquiries that come through. I don't really have to. Uh, I've never actually advertised banter, if that mm. makes sense. Um which is pretty terrific. Pretty terrific. And my job is really to get the client understanding what we do, how we do it, write the proposals, get them signed off, and then once they're signed off, I collate the right project team and then it goes into account service or our producer role and then they take it through production, creative development and back out to the client. But we do have a rule, nothing leaves the office without two sets of eyes, if not three sets of eyes, and it has to be someone that's not working on the project. Um, because everyone looks at something differently. That's so a good one. I like that. It is, and it's starting with process. It's starting with function. You don't need to have every system in place, but as a starter, one of the first investments I made was a very expensive, in my opinion, um, piece of software, but I can't live without it. It manages every client project and workflow and resourcing within the business. So, you know, at, most people will bootstrap a startup, and that's exactly what I did. Um, you know, a $7,000 bill when it comes out of your own bank account feels like a lot of money. <laughs> what, what, what's the system, if I can ask? Uh, it's called Accelo, A-C-C-E-L-O. Okay. Uh, and what Project I love management. about it, it was built for agencies. There's a development team actually in Wollongong, so nice and local, mm-hmm. um, but also their head office out of San Fran. So knowing that we can write to the, the team and say, hey, I'm trying to do this, what's a good way to do it? And if they don't have it, it goes into their product development. And, you know, I've tried all the the usual suspects and Trello and Monday and Slack. They all fall short of what an agency's process really should look like. And I found Excello to be awesome. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. One word you threw in there that I just want to jump on if I can. You used the word process and you said we don't need to have a process for everything or you don't need to have that structure in place for everything. Um, But it is important. Do you, as a team at, at the Banter Group, do you have a process for everything? Do you have a, a written down pipeline of exactly how things happen? Absolutely, yes. Interesting. Right from taking the phone call and qualifying a phone call. Um, I'm not writing proposals for every phone call that comes through. Mm. If I don't think they're going to be the right fit for me, I actually quote them over the phone and if that falls within their ballpark, then I will write a proposal. Sure. Um, but everyone understands our process and particularly web development because it can be quite a back and forward process. Mm. Um, we definitely have that built into our templates, built into Excello, um, built into our tools so that it can't fall over. There's right. checklists before anything goes out the door. So, again, checklists for a lot of people, they say, you know, well, I know what I'm doing. I don't need a checklist. It's like, yep, but you know what? It's really easy when you're under the pump or uh, juggling multiple projects that you just overlook something because oh yeah you know what I just moved on too quickly a checklist is there to save your brain from having to remember the process mm. it kind of can put you a bit on autopilot because you can go oh yeah I never I forgot about that I was just trying to get to the end goal a yeah, little yeah, quicker yeah. so we find that the process 
saves us. How did that? How did that uh, evolve? I mean, you went from let's get started to eight months later, eight staff in and and uh, going strong. How, how did you create that process manual as you went along? I started by saying, "What's the most important thing that I could do today that's going mm. to save me time in the long run?" Nice. So. It's the old adage again, you have to invest or take two steps back to take five steps forward. And I know that that meant I worked late hours writing up templates, having them reviewed, road testing them, keep improving them. But I knew that that's what was going to set us up longer term. So even within the first three months, I had all our um, process documents, briefing documents, all written, drafted. My employment agreement was already through the lawyers. I didn't mess around by going, I don't really need one. We've only got two people. It was like, nope, the first person is getting a 12-page employment agreement to protect our IP. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I think that's where a lot of people fall down in startup is they go, they just scramble for the client, whereas I went, nope, I've done this plenty of times before and if people aren't clear, then you're going to fall over. So, and when I say people being your own team, um, or the client themselves. And I guess that's the, the position I take is that clients don't know the process to build a website. So my job is to show them that you don't just set up a domain name and then pop some pictures in. Um, it's a 27-step process. Mm. And that's when they go, oh, you know, well, GoDaddy just makes it look like you take three clicks and Alf can have a website. Yeah, no. How about no? <laughs> you can, but that's not what I'm here for. Um, I can hear a million, uh, hopefully there's a million, uh, I can hear a million agency owners listening to this at the moment going, oh, I don't have time or money to create processes. Is it ever too late, Valentina? Like is it ever, you know, there's a there's a business owner, he's been trying to set up this digital agency, he's finding that daily struggle for clients, he's got a couple of people that he outsources to. Can that particular person create a set of processes starting today? Absolutely. It's never too late to make any change anywhere within the business. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always have what you've always had. So I've always taken that from my early 20s in some sales training um, to say, yeah, you know what? It's the same as when people say to me, oh, I wish I could live in Paris. I'm like, you can. Get off your ass, go find a property, sell your house and move. I'm not sure what's so difficult about the decision. If that's what you really want, then you know what? It's not going to come out of the sky and go, oh, here's Paris. So I'm I'm just motivated. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just motivated to say, well, that's what I want and that's what I need to do to get it. I know that's going to be hard, but, you know, nothing in life is easy. So crack on, stop whinging, get on with it. (laughs) Nice. I love it. I I, I say the same things to people and they look at me like an alien. Um, So one of the things I would be, it would be remiss of me to have Valentina Bourbon on the, on the line and not talk about social media, considering your position in the world in in terms of social media, teaching and educating, how have you, let let me start at the end. How have you stayed on top of all the changes? Is that a constant educational process for you? Every single day. And this is where I think most other people fall over. Mm. They say, oh, you know, Facebook, I've been doing this for years. Yeah. Facebook changes probably three times a week, I will be reading and seeing significant changes just in Facebook, Instagram um, and Google. I won't ignore Google even when we talk social. So on that basis, if you're not on the tools, if you're not clicking and seeing that this behaviour is evolving, that this is the response from the community, that the change to an algorithm is based on research and applying the knowledge of that research to behaviour, you're going to absolutely miss out on what the value of social really is. And that's changed over the years. And I think that's what most people will forget. Mm. They, particularly with social, we're going to hire this 21-year-old who knows stuff all about how it works from a business perspective. I'm really pleased that you know how to get your makeup updates, but you know what? This is a business and I'm selling something completely different. Mm. And the behaviour of people on social is what makes it successful. People forget behaviour. They just go, well, you just buy ads. Yeah, yeah right. right. Good. There go waste that money. Yeah, go waste the money. Enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's where I play differently. I have a social media manager, but part of that discipline that I talked about with reading reports, reading updates, is I have probably um, probably closer to two hours a day rather than 20 minutes where I'm reading anything from firstly international publications um, as well as local 
reading what the reports actually say and not just reading them going, oh, that's nice. Okay, what impact does that have on our clients on different industries within that change? Mm. We have to notify our clients of this because it's changing all the time and people forget that. So I guess that's where my role on the International Social Media Association came from is when the group had formed and they were looking for industry experts like most committee Um, based organisations will do, is we're trying to make a significant change in legislation on social media in Australia, for example, but what's the point in doing that in Australia? It's US-owned. Every country has their own rules on media and publication. How do we influence that at an international level? And whilst the policymakers, this is where, you know, government gets it wrong but not the International Association, we're going to make this policy change, but what's the actual reality impact? And is this even a good decision? Because if I'm in... Qantas or, in my case, working with nearly every industry, I'll have a very different opinion of why a policy will fail or why it won't work for government legislation versus a publisher or a media publisher versus a user. So everyone in the industry advisory group has a very different opinion because we all come from a different way of looking at it and I think that's the strength of the advisory role. I'm then privy to what we're, what is happening glo- globally mm. and what sort of decisions are being made, obviously with things that we're seeing right now, um, Black Lives Matter, um, the call on Facebook to make significant changes, the revolt from advertisers to put money into the platform. Uh, I don't think you can hang out just one platform at all and I think people forget that there's probably a greater agenda happening and they need to really consider who is a responsible owner a publisher and a user and what rules we place on them yeah right and and having that involvement in that international committee must be must be thrilling to see the the uh the ability to have that impact as it's moving forward when you when you're actually moving uh, along with that that knowledge that you have from that role into an educational role. So you're virtually standing on stage or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. reality standing on stage when, when, the, when the world comes down again. What are you talking about in terms of social and the way that businesses interact with that, with, with the different platforms? Yeah, look, a huge part of what my narrative is about is let's go back to behaviour, mm. not just what the platforms offer, but why do they offer it? And every product innovation comes from user behaviour research to say, oh, this is a bit weird, so I'll give you an example. The reason that stories in Instagram is the biggest, greatest thing is because we're absolutely dead bored of this scroll. I just, I'm over it. I've scrolled for 16 years on Facebook and now you're asking me to, oh, you know, do exactly the same thing on Instagram with exactly the same content. So, hey, businesses, if you're going to post the same thing in two places, guess what? Me, the user, is going to get bored and leave. Now, if I leave, Instagram no longer has me as a user, which means they're going to drop their numbers, drop their stickiness, which means their advertising won't be as valuable. So go back to behaviour and another one of those behaviours and why they dropped the like button, you know, the the heart count. You can still like it. It just doesn't show a count on a mobile phone because, well, you know what? I don't like everything that I read on social. So if you're going to measure your success on social by how many people have liked or commented, you're going to be so disappointed Yeah, because I don't. And neither does the majority of social media users. We read it, we see it, we move on. We don't need to tap it to say, oh, good on you, you've done that. Um, And that's where businesses fall over and go, oh, I'm investing a lot in social and I'm just not getting engagement. It's like, no, because why the hell will we do this? We've got a finite amount of time as a customer, as a consumer, as a general public. Why do you think that I'm so interested in giving you a heart tap unless I feel really strongly about it and my behaviour is actually to make a statement. Mm. So we have to use that human psychology that says, well, just I don't do it and neither does everyone else. So the platforms see this behaviour, they understand that and then they adapt and businesses aren't adapting to why those changes are happening. I'm I'm probably pre-empting this answer of yours, but on two different levels as we see... Um, end users. So let, let's say, you know, businesses who don't engage with agencies to run their, you know, their social. So that's one area. And then agencies themselves. Do you see the same post and hope kind of mentality 
in both camps? Yeah, all the time, mm. all the time. And look, from an agency perspective, social takes a lot longer than anyone gives it credit for. Big agencies might hire fairly young people who are on TikTok and can teach the agency behaviour. That's a good thing, except they're also expecting that same young person with no experience in business mm. or marketing, but they, you know, they use TikTok. They want them to be a copywriter, a photographer, understand composition, use editing tools. Mm. You know, some of the roles that I see now are we're looking for a social media manager who has X number of experience in 10 different tools. We're willing to pay you 55 grand a year. Really? So you want the experience. You don't want to pay for the experience. And better still, you expect them to turn around an asset within a short amount of time. Now, if you go back through, I've got to understand the strategy, I've got to do my own research to work out what looks good, what looks bad and form an opinion, put that into a brief, send it to a client, draft it, source your photography if you haven't got it, you know, in a lovely photo library, don't forget amendments and approvals, then post it, don't forget your community engagement, that happens 24-7 on weekends, and um, the reporting. Now, can you do that for 50 bucks a week? No chance. And this is both sides. Agencies send in the young person and businesses hire the young person. Now, just recently, I've had someone, and I'm not going to disclose who, but say, you know, we need you to teach our internal person social media. This person's a young person. They've never used Facebook themselves. So how on earth do you expect me in one hour to teach them the how to use the entire of- platform <laughs> and actually teach them marketing fundamentals in the process? Mm. It's like... Sorry, that's called delusion. (laughs) Yeah. So I think the ones that are winning are the ones that appreciate, firstly, the purpose of social media for their business. Mm. A lot of people think it's a sales platform and it's not. It's an influential platform. It's a discovery platform. And that's where they haven't aligned their purpose with their metric. So a great example is my purpose is to um, let people know I exist. But I'm going to measure that on leads. So, right. yeah, they're two different things. So if we're going to measure exposing your business to people, then the measurement is reach and impressions. If you're going to measure social on lead generation, then the outcome is direct messages or inquiries. Mm. They're very different things and the messaging that you create, the way you create your targeting, all of those things change based on its objective. No one that I really work with ever comes to me and goes, I'm very clear about what my social is supposed to deliver. Wow. And I spend a lot of time going, okay, well, what do you think it's going to deliver? And they go, well, you know, I want to sell stuff. It's like, okay, well, me customer doesn't want to be sold to. When I'm sitting on the couch, that's actually what I'm not doing in my feed, not mm. actively going, hmm, I wonder what I can buy today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Doesn't happen. It's, a, it's interesting because I, from, a, from a business owner's perspective myself, the, the social rise and i know you know we're sitting here in 2020 and it feels like facebook's been around forever but it really hasn't it's really only been active in such a short amount of time and and it's such an you know we're talking facebook but of course we mean instagram of course we mean youtube and and linkedin and tiktok and all of those have different methodologies behind them and reasons for being on those platforms as a business owner it feels like okay uh this is the world's biggest platform if i just get out there and, as you said, you know, share, share my message. People are going to buy my stuff and it's going to be amazing. There's, there's a very shallow understanding of the, the actual reasons why these platforms genuinely yep. exist. Um, do you find the people in your audience, as you're, as you're delivering your educational message on social, do you find the majority of your audience are agencies or are they business owners or a combination of both? What's your, what do you find your demographics when you're when you Yeah, my your- audiences are most definitely business owners. Yeah, right. Definitely. And I take a two-pronged approach to what my social does. My objective of social is to showcase our business, mm. our quality of work and our education process. So if businesses are going to make better decisions, then they need to know why some things might not be working. So, you know, even for my own businesses, marketing was writing blogs and sharing small snippets of this update has happened. Not just tell me the update, tell me what impact it's going to have, tell me what opportunity it now presents for me and invite them to talk about what that looks like. So I I do 
highly value within the agency creating and crafting our own social, our own blogs. It doesn't get left. You know, clients are always more important. Yes, they are. But you know what? Banter is also a client to our own selves. And if I'm going to preach that businesses need to do this, then I'm going to do that myself. So, you know, when you said when you decided to start an agency, then what happened? Yeah, I sat down and wrote my own marketing plan to go, well, what am I going to do? Who am I going to do it for? And stay focused. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for businesses to go off in all these directions because everything's an opportunity. Nope. Focus on the ones that you need to get across the line first um, and build on that. And I think what people have missed in the social space is it has evolved Facebook's been around for 16 years and what it did in year one to five is very different what it did from five to ten and even more different in what it's done in the last 12 months. So Mm. you need to watch the behaviours of the gaffers. Um, That's the Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple and the S is Samsung. Um, You can throw in a few more on top of that. But they are spending bucket loads of money watching data and behaviour If they make a change, it's very well understood. Businesses need to understand why they're making that change and then what impact that has for them. And, again, I can hear a million business owners at the moment going, I can't, I don't have time, Valentina, which is exactly why, by the way, you should touch base with Valentina and the team at Banda Group because they are on top of it and they can help you steer through that path. Um, and, And to comment on that, even following us from that perspective, if you don't have time to do the reading that I do, at least follow us and learn from the shorthand version Absolutely, absolutely. without having to do the reading. So maybe following banter for 20 minutes a day is the investment from another is your business. Investment. I, and I started off the call by saying that your content is exceptional because, uh, you know, as always when, when we start and going down an interview path, my job is to make sure I'm doing my, my reading and my homework. And I'm, I'm literally on your site and, and specifically on your LinkedIn feed going, wow, okay, cool, click the follow button. Obviously the research and the work that you're doing in that space is genuinely at a leading edge. So, you know, that's a, that's a really strong endorsement. And, and guys, really make sure you touch base with the team of Banter Group. Uh, and follow along Valentina because she really is um, walking that talk as she goes along. Valentina, as, as we start and look at, at um, the Banter Group and the other hats that you wear, if we, if we transported you, if we took you out of Borrell, where you are, where you've set up and grown carrots and, you know, have that amazing connection with the local community, and we put you in a foreign country, um, you know, you kept all your social accounts, but you had to start again. What would be the first few moves that you'd make in that new environment? Wow. If I had to move to another country and do this again, firstly, understanding for me how the country adaptation is to social. So Australian psyche is very different to Europe, also very different to Asia and America. We don't behave in the same way. We don't have the same sentiment. So if I was in another country, it would be really ingraining myself into people's sentiment, how they make decisions, how they're influenced on social within that country. So Facebook's massive in Australia, really is 16, over 16 million users out of 23 million population. I mean, find me another platform that can even give me half of that. It just doesn't exist. So, um, again, yeah, definitely we'd be behaviour-based and I would have to adapt the content based on the understanding for that audience. So if I was still going after small business in Switzerland, I'd really have to get my head around what are their challenges and what are they trying to learn. So some of my blogs even now are geared towards a multinational and some of them are geared towards do you understand the value of, you know, a WordPress site instead of Squarespace? Mm. Let's just go back to those basics. And actually what I find is if I talk to a CEO now, they can't tell me the answer to that question um, because they've got other people doing that. Mm. And I guess that's my difference is I'm never too big for the gig. (laughs) I have to keep on learning. You know, web development's a great example because we had, you know, back in my day, flash development. Imagine being a designer where you have to learn an entire technology that then becomes redundant in your same career. And that has evolved over and over and over again. We went into HTML5. Then we went into um, Photoshop and, you know, FX and animations. And now we've got GIFs. I mean, we hadn't heard of GIFs 
15 years ago. And these designers have to keep evolving. Developers have to keep evolving. We don't need hard-coded enterprise systems anymore unless you really have something quite unique. So I'm going to be redundant in five years if I don't keep up my game. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> Agreed. So um, I, I'm, I, I apologise, but I'm going to push you a little bit on that answer. Um, so you're in Switzerland. You've you've embedded yourself to understand where the CEOs and the businesses' challenges are. You've kind of probably gone to some business events and started to have some conversations. That's move one. You've got four left. What's your what's your goal? Uh, sorry, what's your what's your uh, your strategy and plan to build back up an agency helping and serving small businesses? Step by step, what what would be the the game plan that you'd in, in, employ? Yeah, so my my biggest game plan and the most successful one I've seen play out in fifteen years is people buy from people that they like. I can't deal with arrogant, rude people. Uh, I don't think I'm that sort of person. I think I have an approach that people can relate to because I don't confuse them with jargon. And if they want to ask me the dumbest question in the history of digital, I will never make them feel dumb for asking it. And I think people naturally gravitate to people that they like. Um, So my second part of the strategy outside of understanding these business owners is I would get myself in front of those businesses. Mm -hmm. Now, that is, for me, um, happened very quickly in the Highlands. Um, As an example, I'm part of a business women's Facebook page and I saw a bunch of questions being asked about, I want to do this and do that, and the answers that were being given by the community were wrong. They were absolutely rubbish. So I jumped onto the page and went, hi, guys, look, I've kind of worked in this space for a long time. What if I just run an informal two-hour, ask me anything, in fact, send me questions in advance and I'll make sure that I answer them specifically. And it was a sellout crowd on a Friday night um, in freezing conditions outside. And actually that's what put me on the map. I I believe that's what happened is people could see that I was just approachable that it's not scary, it doesn't have to be difficult, that's what I'm here for and I'm not here to rip you off. So getting in front of those people, be it a free webinar, attending an event, networking is big because it's about people Mm. and I don't know that that necessarily can get across on social media in still imagery. It's why video has grown so quickly because I can get a sense for who you are just by watching a short video And, and, to be honest, Uh, when you approached me about doing this webinar, my first thing is, who's this guy? Is he legit? Do I like him? Do I like his approach? Is he going to be really aggressive? And you weren't any of those things, which is why it was easy for me to agree, right? So I get asked to do webinars all the time. Uh, I pick and choose which ones I'm going to say yes to. Mm. Uh, And your personal approach, and I've watched several of your other podcasts to see how you interview um, and what type of people you're interviewing and is that a good match for me Mm. so aligning your own brand with brands that uh, replicate or um, complement your own positioning Um, and that's also a very big piece of banter is being able to say is this a good match for us Mm. because otherwise I'm not really interested in working with bad people or businesses that don't actually want to listen so yeah yeah, I would strategy to be in front of those people Um, strategy number three be in front of those people but not always in events. Obviously, events are changing with COVID. So um, I have approached and over the years have been a guest blogger for industry publications like CMO Magazine, like the uh, advertising industry. Yes, I have to write my own blogs, but I have an opinion and I feel very strongly about that opinion. And if they like that content, then they'll publish it. So I've strategically placed myself in a contributor's role in maybe three, four publications. I don't want to overstretch my own commitment either. Mm. But people then can see that I'm strong enough to have an opinion. I practice what I preach. And if they align with that, then they're likely to contact me. And I have to admit, and it's not an ego thing, If I stand up on a stage and present, my team are afraid of me doing that because the inquiries that then hit is overwhelming and it's it's so heartwarming. But equally, we're a small team and we have to scale sustainably. So, um, you know, there's an ongoing joke at the moment. There's, hey, can you just start presenting for international resorts? (laughs) It's like, okay, okay, you know. Or, yeah, do you think you could do something with, you know, one of the most amazing designers in the world? It's like, sure. (laughs) Because 
they just want me in front of the right people. Nice. Yeah. I think nice. you know what, like it, it, you've mentioned it as a, not an ego thing. I, I completely agree. It's an earned position. Um, and, and again, we come back to that research and knowledge and, and willingness to educate and then yep. share that education in a constructive way. No wonder the team are <laughs> always afraid of, of standing on stage. I can see how that would work. Um, so that plays out incredibly well. And I think as you, as you analyze that, you look at, okay, we're in a new business first. We're in a new environment. First of all, let's find out what they need. Let's find out how they work and how they interact. Then let's, let's start to um, um, offer what we can in terms of your own knowledge, in terms of giving that willingly, in terms of being able to provide that value. And then third string in the bow, I guess, is then um, on, a, on a more personal level or on a smaller scale level, connecting with those businesses, solving those mm-hmm. problems and moving that into a relationship. I think, you know, again, yep. within a, a 30 to 60 day window of dropping you in any environment following that strategy, I think you'd be pretty booked out. So that's very, very cool. Um, <laughs> Valentina, can I ask you, I know a lot of, um, and I've mentioned this with other guests, a lot of the time with digital agencies, there's a very low barrier to entry. In other words, um, hey, cool, I can be a digital agency right now. All I need to do is manage somebody's Facebook page. Uh, and that's, that's both good and bad in a, in a way that anybody with an entrepreneurial spark has got an opportunity to move into that space, but also bad in, because of, you know, the impact that that has uh, with um, professional agencies and, and, and more involved processes uh, and the understanding of what, that, what that's um, requiring. So what I was going to ask was, um, you mentioned your core values of keeping work in Australia, of uh, employing local people and, you know, working in that environment. Um, and I love that. I think that's really a strong community pool, which is why you've got so many, I guess, local clients around you just flocking to you. But I want to move to somebody who's taken that leap forward. So they, they're strongly passionate about their skills in social media or about their skills in lead generation for companies. They've decided to go out on their own. Uh, they don't necessarily have the resources or opportunity to hire internal staff. And you mentioned that you choose not to go the outsourced method um, you know, personally, which is, which is fine. Um, do, you, do you completely categorically abhor that with other agencies or would you say for them there is an opportunity to do that um, so long as it's, you know, quality controlled and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I think it, it's horses for courses and there's nothing wrong with that outsource model mm. uh, in terms of, yes, you can make it work. There are always language barriers the operational aspects of the Western world are very different in terms of our client expectation. If there's not a middleman controlling and creating quality control, it's what gives agencies a bad name. I can't tell you how many agencies I've seen it just in the last 12 months who there's a yoga instructor who's decided to evolve and buy a franchise digital agency. And I'm just shaking my head going, well done on destroying the actual craft that makes digital work, Mm. which is why so many people are burnt in digital saying, I've spent a lot of money doing this and I didn't get my return. Yeah, you used a Muppet that's never done this before, but they're awesome at yoga. They've got no idea how to manage a team, a studio, development processes, or how to update those processes and technologies. So there, there is something to be said about skill and they have, you know, I'm not knocking the yoga instructor for trying something different. Yeah. What I am knocking is that they've not done any training to actually have any credibility in the space. Mm. And I think that's what annoys me the most is, look, I could be a yoga instructor. <clears throat> You're right. Um, and if I just decided to change what my skill was, I'm a face painter, for example, um, for fun. But I went and actually paid to do a full day's course to learn to face paint, not just, hey, I've got some brushes and some cool paints and give it a go. I can watch YouTube videos now to craft that skill Mm. and to learn how do I do a a better version of X, Y, and Z. Mm. But that's no different to the digital space. You have to actually invest in your own self to have the credibility. And I I think that's where a lot of people probably lose that. An opinion question then. Do you believe that uh, regulation in the space is needed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so part of what 
I do. Um, is I'm a content creator for Deakin Co., uh, a part of Deakin University, to create uh, what is called training materials or education courses that are actually based on a professional capability standard. Mm. So creating a standard of profession in marketing at the moment doesn't exist. Yeah. And Deakin is one of the leaders in creating this authorised, endorsed marketer. Mm. Now, that goes back to what I said before. If you're a marketing manager and applying for a job, I have an expectation as an employer that you know what the hell you're talking about across every channel. It's called a marketing manager. So when they have a marketing manager and a digital marketing manager in a role, I just think you've all lost your mind because digital is just another channel. Where's your TV manager? Where's your radio manager? Where's your print manager? And they don't have one. That's what the marketing manager does. And digital is this unicorn over here. Stupid. It's meant to be integrated. Get your head around it. You know what? If you're in marketing, stay relevant. Otherwise, go get a job in a farm. Yeah. It annoys me. People, <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> people put on their CVs, I'm a marketing manager, and they couldn't do a, half the job. They have agencies doing most of it. Yeah, well, yeah. what that means is you're a producer or, you, you know, you're a coordinator. You're not a marketing manager. Mm. So my job is to say if I'm looking at skill set at different levels, then I need to have a standard of expectation. You need to know how to use Google Analytics. You need to know how to read reports, understand insights, implement change. And if you can't do that, you don't get the job. So that's where my expectation goes. No different too. If you're a CMO, then I expect you to have leadership skills, recruitment skills, emotional intelligence training, not just the marketing bit, the other bit that makes you the own part. (laughs) That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, absolutely. And there is no standard at the moment and what Deacon's doing and why I'm absolutely involved in that is, and I'm an assessor for Deacon, so you can say I'm a data-driven marketer, but if you can't do my course and submit evidence in alignment with the capability framework, I'm sorry, you're not a data-driven marketing manager. But you're a good social poster. (laughs) That's it. I love it. Why do we have qualifications in um, automotive and why are there continuing education points uh, required in healthcare, physios, doctors, but not in marketers? Mm. So you can be as redundant as you like in your skills and still say that you're a 2020 marketer. It's ridiculous. Not possible. No. So that's obviously something that's taking a lot of your your future plans as well. Valentina, I'm so conscious of your time and I'm so grateful for it. Where, as we, as we look at the, the movement that, you're, that you started with Deacon, with that education process, with the banter group and the team that you're developing there, where do we see you moving in the next chapter, I guess, uh, as, we, as we look at Valentina and, and what we'll see in the future? Oh, look, that sounds like my husband asking me, what's, what's the goal? <laughs> and I feel fortunate that I have what I have and the goal really is to continue its sustainability. I would love to have banter at sort of 20, 25 people, you know, that I, and I try not to have this big vision and, like I said, I'm not motivated by money. So if someone wants to buy this business, it would really need to be something very attractive. <laughs> no, no, not, not from a financial but for the team. Yeah. They have worked their guts out to create this agency together with us. So what do I want? I want to grow sustainably. I want to continue the flexibility, the normal working life, delivering great work. And if that means that I stay at 12 people, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Life is too short to get caught up in crap. So I try and focus on making sure I'm home for dinner and doing that day-to-day. And if we win the next big client, I'm really excited about that. But if they're not the right one, that's okay too. Fantastic. And if you're talking marketing, education, cut-through, deliverability, until the day you die, I'm sure that would be something. You- it would be. I'm, I love what I do. And, you know, a lot of people say I'm passionate. I hate the word passionate. Um, I love what I do and I can do it day in, day out, all night long. And I think that's no different for anyone else who designs jewellery or is an artist. When you really follow what you love, it's easy. 
and this isn't work to me. I'm stressed out most of the time because we've got so much happening, but it's the thrill. It's the adrenaline. It's not blood pressure stress. I love it. it. (laughs) Team, if you're watching and listening to this, which I hope you are by now, you need to get in touch and follow along with Valentina. Uh, You can touch base at uh, thebantagroup.com.au and, of course, from there all of the social connections are available or just search for Valentina Bourbon on LinkedIn. I'll also make sure we've got all the links to your social profiles and everything underneath this post, Valentina. I'm so grateful for your time. I love the I love the message and the direction that you're bringing into the marketing um, world and into that space. And I thank you for it. And I think there's a lot of people that um, not only from your client perspective, but also then from your team, from your community, and the greater marketing uh, group as a whole internationally can can really feel and, and benefit from that. So again, I thank you for it, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Valentina Bourbon, thank you so much. She's the CEO, the president of the Banter Group. She is an incredible whirlwind of a person as we started uh, the conversation by saying, and again, thank you so much for the, for the chance. Thank to you very much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks. You're awesome. Cheers. Hey everyone, it's Walt and thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you and I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there. So you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing on iTunes. Head over there now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.